welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Cale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter. Luke writes that at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until a time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. It's good to see you this morning. Another bright, sunny, uh, sunny late March day. Um, time would come, as you know, this season of Lent. Time would come when Jesus entered Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna and cries of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will observe that uh, entrance, in fact, in but a few more weeks on Palm Sunday. That time would come. And then they killed him. But on the day about which Luke writes today, some well-meaning Pharisees sought to warn him off, to warn Jesus away. Along with named Pharisees, such as Nicodemus, not all the leadership in Jerusalem were of one mind about Jesus. Those Pharisees no doubt understood Herod's treachery and also understood equally well the political intrigues and aspirations within their own ranks. Some held Jesus to be true. But as we know, Jesus would not, could not be deterred from following the path set before him by the Father 40 days in the wilderness of testing. We've talked about that and proven that. As we read, we, we read this today, though. We know things that the disciples at that time simply couldn't have known. Now, in his letter to the Philippians that Andrea just read, Paul wrote, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. To modern ears, at least to mine, Paul's words 
at points like this can sometimes sound, well, a little full of himself. Okay? With the words, join in imitating me. And I suspect that is in part because we already know what we know. We know how to live. Whereas the people of ancient Philippi would have been wholly ignorant of the kind of life Paul was calling them to adopt as their own and its moral Jewish underpinnings. You see, there was no Ten Commandment equivalent in the ancient Roman world. Only Roman law and certainly Roman examples served as a poor guide as to how to live. Thus Paul's brothers and sisters join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have seen in us. And so with that said now, something a little different this morning. Let me set before you um, three names. First names only. Yet I bet you know who they are, but you know little about them. Nick Patton Val. By simply using their full first names and adding the title conferred by the church to these three, uh, I can remove any doubt that you might have about who I'm talking about. St. Nicholas, St. Valentine, and on this day, St. Patrick. By a not too frequently occurring convergence of dates, this second Sunday in Lent is also St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick however, has sadly gone the way of St. Nicholas and St. Valentine, holy men of God whose names and stories have been co-opted and corrupted by the world and virtually stolen from the church. All three would, I am confident, be deeply embarrassed and ashamed that their personal story, their personal witness, their personal devotion to the Lord of the Church has been supplanted by marketing ploys and practices far beyond what their 4th century minds could have ever imagined. This penitential season of Lent, I suggest that among the many things we have both individually and corporately as the Church uh, to uh, to seek forgiveness for this penitential season among the things for which the one holy Catholic and apostolic church ought to be repentant is that the church has largely given God's saints over to the carnal excesses of postmodern life. The mere passage of time ought not grant license for that. The church has allowed these, among others, to become a mockery of that for which each stood, each bled, and each died during those fertile years as the gospel was spreading into this Roman world that Paul writes to and about. A time when Paul's writings were fresh, brand new stuff. A time when the gospel of Jesus Christ was received as truly good news falling upon the ears of those who had never heard. St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra, quite likely and importantly, 
in attendance when the crucial Nicene Creed was written. We're going to confess that creed in just a few moments. St. Nicholas was almost certainly one of the authors of that creed. During that time, Nicholas was said to have... <laughs> St. Nicholas, here's, here's uh, something you don't associate with him. During that time, during the, the production of the Nicene Creed, when there was debate and discussion and even argument within the church, combating heresies that were arising in those first centuries uh, A.D. in the life of the church, Nicholas is said to have punched out uh, the heretical bishop Arius for his false preaching. Now, of course, Nicholas, beloved uh, for his generosity, particularly toward children. Nicholas is, as we know, portrayed in art with a flowing beard and red vestments. He went on to become the patron saint of sailors, such that even after the Reformation, St. Nicholas remained beloved by Dutch seafarers, and the Dutch called him Santa Claus. I'm sorry, center clause. The Dutch reformers, though, it's, this is quite remarkable because the, the Dutch, the reformed Dutch, they want anything to do with all, anything Catholic. And yet, he remained. The Dutch perception of St. Nicholas was brought to uh, this country, New York, specifically during the American colonial period of time, where his uh, image merged with the uh, British Father Christmas and Nordic influences that placed him at the North Pole and from that emerged the modern day icon of Santa Claus. Now, only shortly before Nicholas's time, there lived another priest of the fledgling church. By vocation, Valentine was a physician. His life ended as a martyr in the year 269. The reason for his martyrdom was that he had been caught. He had been found out by the Roman authorities, his crime performing marriages. Young men and young women joining in marriage, but specifically young Roman soldiers. Okay. It had been decreed by Emperor Claudius the Goth that his soldiers were not to marry. He specifically forbade it for soldiers, for he believed that single men, men without attachments, wives and children back home, would make better, more audacious warriors. Well, the emperor can proclaim it, but it was clear that this clashed with Christian teaching about marriage and family and the desires of those who found love. They sought out Valentine, and he married them. He was found out, and while in prison, Valentine provided, according to his vocation, medical care for his captor's daughter, the child of his jailer. On the eve of his execution, Valentine penned a letter to the child that he had come to know as his patient, as someone he had grown fond of, urging her to faith in Jesus Christ. He signed that letter from your Valentine. 
His death on February 14th, coincidentally the day the Romans believed that the birds of the air paired up for spring, was to be for the church an abiding reminder of the Christian precepts of love and family and of the sanctity of marriage. And today, of course, St. Patrick's Day. Hazel, I don't have green socks on. The 5th century apostle to Ireland. Nearer to us in time than either Nicholas or Valentine, there are still archaeological sites connected to the places Patrick served his lord there in Ireland. Now, of him... Historians tell us that, that Patrick was a man more comfortable with action than with scholarship, a quality which no doubt served him well in the rough and tumble environs of pagan Ireland. Patrick's story, though, doesn't begin in Ireland. Patrick's story begins in Britain, where he was born. Britain received the gospel from converted Roman soldiers perhaps some students of Valentine who were stationed in the north and they carried Christianity up there uh, and uh, Patrick's story began there in Britain but at age 16 he was kidnapped he was abducted by raiders who had come from Ireland to Britain so he was kidnapped and taken to Ireland at age 16, held there. For some five years, he lived as a herdsman and finally managed his escape and made his way back to England. However, as a result of his captivity, Patrick's spiritual conversion eventually led him to uh, an understanding that Christ desired him to return to the Irish, his former captors, but to return there to bring to them, to take to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Patrick studied and became a priest. And after a priest defied the desires of his superiors by returning to Ireland, Patrick's preaching proved wildly successful. So much so that more priests were sent to Ireland, along with a bishop to help Patrick. And upon the death of his superior in 431 AD, Patrick himself was consecrated Bishop of Ireland. Patrick died in County Down in the year 461, but his witness, as well as some of his churches, live on to this day. And thus I find it odd that even people of faith are guilty of placing elves rather than angels around Nicholas, cupids rather than crosses near Valentine, and pretend that leprechauns run free on St. Patrick's Day. This is largely out of ignorance, I suspect, and I do not think it necessarily makes anyone in Paul's words enemies of the cross as he wrote to the Philippians however I think our failure to remember appropriately those who risk all for the sake of the gospel doesn't reflect well upon the modern church in a time when we can be so guilty of it's all about me it's all about me the reformation 
rejection of Middle Ages excesses in invoking saints, I'm afraid, in reality quickly gave way to just plain old Protestant ignorance and neglect. Please observe how the vacuum of ignorance, however, was quickly filled with pagan customs and cultural proclivities. This is a spiritual failure. Okay, Again, one I think that a narcissistic culture is particularly prone to. So what to do on this St. Patrick's Day? Huh? What would Patrick counsel? I strongly suspect he would want Jesus Christ to be proclaimed. As did Martin Luther after him. Patrick would not want his name to eclipse that of his Lord. And yet here we sit as Lutherans. <laughs> now, if you read in the Augsburg Confession, the document that was written and presented to the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V in 1530, therein set forth what the churches of Germany believed, taught, and confessed about the Christian faith. And so it covered a large variety of things. And they did this in hope of reconciliation with the church in Rome, but had to be without compromise to that which they held true. In addressing this subject of saints, uh, such as Nicholas, Valentine, and Patrick, the Reformers wrote this, quote, It is taught among us that saints should be kept in remembrance, so that our faith may be strengthened. When we see what grace they received and how they were sustained by faith, Moreover, their good works are to be an example for us. However, it cannot be proven from Scripture that we are to invoke or seek help from them, end quote. Although, it must be said that Luther did just that when he was almost struck by lightning. Luther invoked St. Anne, the patron of minors and pregnant women, with a promise to become a monk if he were spared during the storm. Well, and the rest, as they say, is history. The Christian church, and there can be only one, the Christian church, is a church of revelation. God is revealed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ. The Christian church is also community. Jesus left us not one single written word. What Jesus did leave us was a community. And he called that community the church. The church wrote the Gospels. The church sought to live lives of faithful commitment to those precepts Jesus taught his disciples. The church does this imperfectly to be sure, but thanks be to God, there arose during those particularly critical and crucial days and years of mission and growth after the resurrection, some declared saints who could and should be remembered for their holiness. Saints always point the church toward Jesus Christ. Saints should inspire others to stand firm persevere, live lives of commitment in easy times or in times of persecution and suffering. And so on this St. Patrick's Day, may God forgive the church for allowing Nicholas and Valentine and Patrick to become opportunities for commercialism, marketing, excesses of every kind. God grant the church 
more people of witness and vision in the 21st century just as he did in the 2nd and the 3rd and the 4th centuries. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 KL Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.